study on Sunday mornings in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 5, we'll begin to read this morning in verse number 1. And I'll invite you to stand this morning, all those that can and are able and honor and reverence for the reading of God's Word. For a few moments this morning, I'll speak to you on this subject, Marks of Maturity. Marks of Maturity, Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll begin to read this morning in verse number 1. Well, church family, we'll read together in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 20, where the Bible says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because of the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which in is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your Spirit truly would challenge hearts and lives today. God, I do pray if there is one who's never been saved, God, you will overwhelm them with their, their reality spiritually before you today, their lostness. And God, we pray that they'll choose to turn and trust Christ. God, we know through your word that we have an enemy who seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And God, with all that's going on in the world and around us in our community and things that are going on in our own lives, he would seek to keep us from these truths that are found in these verses today. But Father, we declare together as a church family that Satan is a defeated foe. He's not welcome here. And God, I pray you'll put a spiritual hedge of protection around this place and around our hearts and around our lives. God, I pray for these next few moments that we'll tune in and we'll have a teachable spirit to receive truth from you today. And God, I pray that these marks of spiritual maturity will be a reality in our lives if they're not already as we leave this place today. Our commitment to see you grow us into this type of Christian and follower of Christ. Bless this time. Your perfect will be done. It's in Jesus' name. We ask these things and pray. Amen. Now I invite you again uh, to be seated. 
In the book of Ephesians, Paul continues uh, to teach and to encourage uh, the church at Ephesus toward maturity. Remember, this was a church uh, that he founded uh, on a mission trip. And so now he has written back uh, after several years the church has existed, and he's encouraging them on toward maturity. Remember that Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 uh, is doctrine uh, in the form of a deposit. Uh, that is, Paul's writing truth and trying to deposit it into their hearts and into their lives. But chapters 4 through 6 we see is doctrine displayed. So it's not one thing just to know truth and to understand truth, but it's another thing to put it in to practice. And that's what Paul's encouraging the church to do in these last three chapters is the doctrine that they have learned to put it into shoe leather, not just to know it and to talk about it, but to display it. And so in these first 20 verses of Ephesians chapter 5, we, Paul begins to reveal four marks of spiritual maturity. Uh, about this time every year, uh, we schedule and have scheduled over the last year a, uh, an appointment uh, with the kids' pediatrician. I remember from the very first week that they were alive. And you would go in and they'd place them on the scale and they'd see how much they had grown since the last time you were in. And they'd stretch them out and see how uh, long they'd gotten since the last time. Sometimes there would be shots that they would have to get. And that was always a terrible time because, you know, they scream and holler and it made you broke your heart more than it probably hurt them but then the doctor would come in at least he would you know in the days that uh, ours were born probably not in the days that some of you uh were alive but uh, when you were young but they would come in and they would show these on these pie charts and graphs you know how far your child was progressing progressing and what percentile of growth they were in and you could see physically how they were maturing. And we still do that once a year. You'll see how much weight they've gained and how tall they are. And then the doctor will project based on other kids' health where they'll be in the next year. And so you're able to see those marks of physical maturing. And so Paul begins to share some marks of spiritual maturity. And friend, I want to remind you again, you know, that if you're not growing in Christ, you're going backwards. There's nothing really, you know, stagnant is decay. And so idleness is, is really not growth. And so any cell and any body part that's not continuing to thrive, gangrene's going to set in for a while, and they're going to cut it off because it begins to decay. And so God's plan for us spiritually is never just to sit, certainly not to go backwards, but it's always to keep moving forward and to be maturing spiritually so notice these four marks this morning of spiritual spiritual maturity and i pray they're reality in your in your life and if they're not there'll be a commitment to see those as a reality as you leave this service number one the first mark of maturity is following your master if you want to know if you're growing in your personal relationship with jesus christ then you're going to be following your master. Look what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. That word imitators in the Greek is where we get our word mimic. It means to mimic them. Now, uh, kids, and mine learned this lesson, don't do it. When, I, when I'm talking to my kids and they try to, you know, they're, they're only going to do it once, all right? You, that, that's not good. That's being a smart aleck, all right? And so we're not talking about being a smart aleck. But we're talking about mimicking God our Father to do as He does. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you 
also. And so to have the mind of Christ is to think like Christ, to speak like Christ, and to act like Christ. And so Paul is encouraging the church to mimic their father and how God thinks, how God speaks, and how God loves. Look what the Bible says in verse number 2. And walk in love. Remember, walk is the sum total of your lived out life. He's not talking about your physical walk, but just as kids will mimic. Uh, it's interesting to me. Again, I told you uh, last Sunday night in our time of discipleship, I love to observe people. And because I'm in ministry, oftentimes we have several generations of people within churches. And you can see how kids and grandkids will act like their grandparents. They, they begin to mark one another. And it's just because they, they talk alike. They sit alike. They posture themselves. And it's because without even thinking, you, you mimic those in your family. And so we're to mimic we're to walk the sum total of our lived out life. We're to walk in love. Look at verse 2. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. Not just what he says or what he said, because he's already ascended to heaven by the time that Paul wrote this, but, but as he loved. To, to love as Christ loved. He didn't just say, but he demonstrated how to love. To walk in love as Christ has also loved us. How so did he demonstrate? In giving himself for us and offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Remember that when Jesus uh, was ministering, and the Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, we, we had a lesson several weeks ago, a scribe came and asked, really from a good heart, what the greatest commandment was. But the scribes and Pharisees sought to trip him up. And in Matthew chapter 22, uh, the Bible says in verse number 34, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, then one of them, a lawgiver, asked him a question, testing him. He said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus again said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. But listen to the second. He said, It is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so Christ demonstrated that sacrificial type of love that we're to love our neighbors with. John chapter 15 and verse number 13. Uh, the Bible says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did for us. He sacrificially gave his life away so that God's will could be accomplished through him. Now listen to me. A disciple is a learner and a follower. And you're, if you're a learner and a follower of Christ. Paul says one of those marks of maturity is you're going to be following your master. Just as Jesus laid down his life, so you and I must lay down our lives. And it may be that you do have to lay down your physical life to accomplish God's will. But more so what God is looking for, friend, that you just lay down your life, your spiritual life, your, the sum total of your life. You see, the Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto man. But the end of its ways are death. And all of us grow up, you know, with ideas. It's the questions you're asked when you're young. What do you want to be, little boy? What do you want to be, little girl, when you grow up? And they'll have all these grand ideas. Girls will plan their wedding from an early age. Boys will have all these grand ideas of what they're going to accomplish in athletics or for, through some other form of service. But when you give your life to Jesus Christ and He becomes Lord of your life, then, friend, you in turn give your life to Him. You say, Lord, whatever you want to do through me, 
Whatever it is, no matter what it costs me, no matter what I have to go, no matter what I have to give up, you gave your life for me, and so I'm giving my life to you so that you can live the life through me that you want to, that through that, God, I might be a part of seeing you reach, teach, and encourage others. It's Christ made a way that I could be saved, so I give my life to Jesus Christ that through my life, other people can be saved. That's, that's following your master. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Christ gave his life. Physically, he died so that he might take our place. We won't physically die when we give ourselves to God. That may be the case that God calls us to do that. But we present ourselves a living sacrifice. Every single day we yield all that we have and all that we are, so that through us God can live the life that He wants to. That you give your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. That's what God calls us to do. So the first mark of spiritual maturity is following your master. Now, without raising your hand or getting a smile on your face, how are you doing with that? Is that a reality in your life? As God examines your life, has there ever been a place truly where you've come and that you've, you've really gotten all in with lordship? Now, friend, I will say, if you've never trusted Christ to be Lord of your life, you've never been saved. But I shared with you, at the early age, I gave all of me that I knew to give to Jesus Christ. But as I grew and as I matured, then God really began to convict me more what lordship was really all about. And... Friday, August 13th, 1999, friend, I got all in. I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I gave every single part of my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Have you ever come to that place? If you haven't, friend, you need to do that. You're not maturing in Christ if you're not following your master. And number two, the second mark of maturity is fleeing from worldliness. Fleeing from worldliness. Can I just say before we even begin the point, I, I, I can't even begin to describe to you how many conversations I've had with people uh, arguing, trying to argue with me over Scripture about how close they can get to the fire without being burned or singed rather than how close they can get to looking like Jesus Christ. How many come? Well, now, now, brother, now, I know I say it all the time, but I'm just telling you, I hear it all the time. Now, Brother Chad, that you, that's just legalism. That's just legalism to say that. Friend, I'm telling you. I mean, I've heard it so many times. I wish I had $5 for every conversation I've ever had with people over it. I could send my kids to any college in the country if they could get in. But I, I could do it. Because so many people in the church seem to be concerned about how close to the world they can get without being singed rather than how close to the likeness and the holiness of Jesus Christ they can be through surrender. Look what Paul said. And remember, this was a town that was marked and marred. It and Corinth were marked and marred by, by sexual, gross sexual immorality. You all know the number one church in, in Ephesus? It was the church that practiced cult prostitution. You didn't come in and sit on a pew with an open Bible and study God's Word. You went, you bought a hooker, and then that was worship. Now, whose church do you think everybody wanted to go to? That was the world in which the Christians at Ephesus were trying to reach with the gospel. 
That was, that was the, 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 the community that everybody said these things are normal and these things are acceptable. Paul says, but fornication, all uncleanness or covenants, verse 3, let it not be even named among you that is as part of your life or your thinking as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness. Friend, I'm telling you, we're living in a country now to where if you don't acknowledge those things is okay, you are now what they, they term, you're canceled. You're just, you're just out. And if you don't affirm that all manners of sexual immorality and whatever somebody chooses to do is okay, well, you're just not woke enough. Friend, I want to remind you again, what the Bible says is right is right, and what the Bible says is wrong is wrong. And it'll never change. And so Paul says we're to flee from these things. They're not to even be a part of our, our lives. Verse 4, he says, Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. So he says, we're not even to be named as partakers. There's to be no vulgarity uh, that is to come from our mouths. James chapter 3, verse 11. James says it this way. He says, does, does a spring send forth fresh water and a bitter from the same opening? He says, the only things that are perceived from our mouths are things that are uplifting and, and are praiseworthy. Verses 19 through 20 of Ephesians 5. He says, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing making melody in your heart, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so our mouths are to be used for prayer and for praise, for sharing the gospel, for building up, not for tearing down, for exhortation for encouragement, and for sharing truth. But verse number 7, friend, don't you look, says, Therefore do not be partakers with them. That is, don't let these sins that mark their lives be a reality in yours. And you say, well, I don't do these things. Well, I want to ask you this. Do you watch them? Because I want to tell you something, friend. If you watch these things and you watch shows and movies that do these things, you might as well be in the bedroom with them. If you watch these things, and, it, and it's, and it's well now, I watch my shows during the day. If you watch that filth, and you watch those things at night, then you approve of it. Because you're participating with them by being a voyeur. Any of those shows that, 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 that promote worldliness and worldly lifestyles. There was a pastor of days gone by, back years ago, there was a show called Three's Company. Some of you... Remember that. And uh, a pastor in Florida, he said, I'm telling you. He said that these types of shows are what Satan is going to use to make homosexuality mainstream in America. And some ladies came and said, now, and, I mean, can you believe this? Some ladies came and said, you're just, being you're just being legalistic, pastor, by saying that. That show's cute, and that show is funny. Well, friend, I want to tell you, he was a prophet. Because, listen... Homosexuals aren't coming out of the closet. They've kicked the door off the hinges. I mean, it is mainstream now in America. And if you don't agree with it, something's wrong with you. And they're, they're, people say, well, divorce rates down. Well, you know why divorce rates down? Nobody gets married anymore. They just shack up. Because it's okay. It's not okay. And so when we watch those things, I'm telling you, friend, listen, that influences your mind. And you begin to think that those things 
are normal. And I'm telling you this, if you've got co-workers and you've got families that are living in this kind of worldliness, and they go on vacation with you that way, you go on vacation with them, they come over to the house, and you just make the way they're living is fine and dandy, what you're telling them is it's fine and dandy. You say, we don't agree with it. Then, listen, I'm not saying that you've got to run them off and set them on fire, but I'm telling you this, friend, what you condone, people receive as you condone him. And so Paul's here is not just talking about being a participator with them. It's that when you don't stand against these things and take a bold stand, you're going along with it saying that I affirm this with my presence and my silence. With my silence. And again, social media. God helps some of you who just will so happy for you and bless your hearts to all of these things that are ungodly and contrary to God's word. As an ambassador of Jesus Christ, you're giving a big thumbs up to it. Because you're more concerned with what that person thinks than you are with what God thinks. And Paul says if you're growing in maturity, you're going to flee from worldliness. You're not going to be a partaker. Look at verse number 8. Paul says you need to wake up. Think about who you are. He says you were once darkness, but if you've been saved, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Because, friend, light has nothing to do with darkness. Rather, it dispels it. He says, For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And we are to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather to expose them. Jesus was a friend to sinners, and so are we to be. We're to build relationships that we can share Christ, that their lives might be changed by the gospel. But our lives are not to be changed by worldliness. I'm telling you, friend, you're never going to reach a lost person by living like them. And parents and grandparents, I'm telling you, you are confusing your children and your grandchildren by living at church one way, amening at church one way, and watching and listening and living a different way at home. They're confused. It's like telling a dog to sit and then beating him when he does. He doesn't know what to do. And kids today are the same way. They're living in homes where, where parents and grandparents aren't all in as a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. He says, and have no fellowship. Verse, verse 12, for it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by light, for whatever makes manifest is light. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, the Apostle Paul said this, my grandmother used to say this verse to me all the time. Come out, wherefore, come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch the unclean thing, and I will receive you. He echoed Isaiah 52, 11. Paul says, I will be a father to you when you do that, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. If you want to be in a right, growing relationship with God, you must be fleeing from worldliness. Number one, you must be following your master. Number two, you must be fleeing from worldliness. And number three, you must be fulfilling God's daily will. Fulfilling God's daily will. Psalm 118 verse 24 says, This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Every day is a gift from God. Every day. We're not promised that we'll have 
another. Verse number 15, Paul says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. That word circumspectly means carefully. See that, the, see that you walk. See that the sum total of your lived out life is done so carefully. Not as a fool, but as a wise person. How so? Verse 16, redeeming time. Because the days are evil. Proverbs 27, verse 1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for you know not what the day will bring. Don't put off doing tomorrow what God wills for you to do today. So many people miss out on God's best because they don't do today what God is calling them to do. Verse 15 says that if we put those things off, we're living like fools. See then that you walk, you live carefully. Not as fools, but as a wise person. Verse 16, redeeming the time. We've been going through some totes in our basement. And uh, I shared this a few weeks ago. And just a public service announcement for your children and grandchildren. Those of you that are aging, get rid of the junk before you die. Don't leave that to your family. All right? Nobody wants your great-grandmother's furniture. Take it to Goodwill. Okay? Take it to Goodwill. And don't be offended that nobody's going to want all your stuff once you're gone. Get rid of it. Anyway, all of you children and grandchildren, you can write me a letter later and thank me for doing that. But we've been going through totes. And, and we've been seeing little pictures that we had of the kids. And after Melissa, I have to give her an IV because she cries herself dehydrated after we look at how much they've grown and how much they've They've changed and how much they've got. We, we see how, how much, listen to me, time gets away from us. Time gets away from us. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, listen, don't live like a fool, but live like a wise person. Redeem the time. Make the most of today for Jesus Christ. Why? Because the days are evil. There's lostness all around us. There's a heaven to gain for people. There's a hell to shun. There's a mission that Christ has left the church. He says, you know, fulfill God's daily will. Redeem the time. That literally, that means to rescue every minute from loss. Because it's getting away from us. It's getting away from us. Some of you, undoubtedly, you know, you're already thinking about lunch, your afternoon nap, what you're going to watch on TV today. And I'm encouraging you, rescue the invitation. Don't let it get away from you. Don't say, I wonder what God's going to do for somebody in the invitation day. What's God going to do for me? When your eyes wake of a morning, don't, don't just think about breakfast and the cup of coffee, but think, what, what does God have for me today in His Word as I read and study? What am I going to experience in my prayer life? Who can I witness to today? Who can I be a blessing to today? There are all these things that we have to do throughout the day. Appointments, jobs to work, things that we're going to do. But in the midst of all that, God, how can I live on mission today for you so that I can redeem all of this time for someone else's good and for God's glory? Paul says today to fulfill God's will for your life, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Verse 17, therefore do not be unwise, but look at it, understand what the will of the Lord is. He says, understand for, for, for that, that day, James chapter 4, and, and in verse number 17, the Bible says, therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it's sin. And so do you want to end the day 
bringing glory to God through faithfulness? Or do you, on the end of the day, bringing dishonor to God through sin? And so that's why Paul says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Listen to me. For every specific day. And so there is to understand God's general will, what it is that He calls us to do, to live on mission, to grow, to develop our spiritual gift, to employ it through service in the life of the church, but then to understand what God's specific will is. All of us as believers have the same general will. God has the same general will for every single disciple. But there's a different specific will for all of us. Things that He's going to lead us differently to do. And we have to understand those things. Look at it, verse number 17. Therefore, do not be unwise. Through prayer and understanding, through the study of God's Word, through seeking peace, because the devil can never give you peace, asking God to close doors, to open doors, understand what the will of the Lord is, and then don't just understand it, but then do it. Because if you know it and you don't do it, James 4, 17, you've got what in your life? Sin. And you're not going to honor God as a growing disciple. So you have to, to fulfill God's daily will, friend, is to know God's will and then to do God's will. And number four, friend, a fourth mark of maturity is filled with the Spirit. It's a verse we talk about so often here in discipleship. It is one of the foundational verses of living a life that is pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, and do not be drunk with wine, wherein is this dissipation, wherein is excess, drunkenness. And can I remind you again, friend, every alcoholic became one by taking the first drink. Any person that ever got drunk took the first drink. So wisdom says, Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, whosoever takes is unwise. Wisdom says, don't even put it in your body. And I know, friend, someone says, well, my doctor told me it would help my health to drink a glass of wine. Well, do you know they've proven that Welch's grape juice does the same for your body that a glass of wine might do? And I'll say this, friend, I'd rather die of heart disease than put liquor to my lips and lose my testimony any day of the week. And wine has just become some commonplace thing. It's just, it's a mark on society. It's worldliness. And I'm telling you, the Bible, you won't be seen by God as wise or as a dummy. If you want to be a dummy, drink alcohol. If you want God to see you as wise, get it out of the house. And I've been around long enough to know, again, this time of year, people don't even laugh because I'm telling you, it disgusts me. I do not think it is funny. But people got little toddies for the flu and all these different things. Give me a break. You're killing your testimony and your reputation going down to the ABC store and buying that junk. Alcohol has no place in the life of a growing disciple of Jesus Christ. And we're going to do a discipleship lesson. Friend, listen, the wine in biblical days and the wine of today are not apples and apples. It is apples to oranges. They're not fruit of the vine. It's not even close to the same thing as what wine is today. And you'll never convince me that Jesus would condone anything that does the damage to homes and lives that alcohol does. So do not be drunk with wine where there's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul says, sadly, like liquor controls a drunk, he says, you be controlled 
by the Holy Spirit. Be filled, be controlled. And I want to remind you, friend, that, in, that this, is not, this is not an optional verse. This is a command, but be filled. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul's saying it's a sin to not be filled with the Spirit. To keep on being filled. That's the secret to successful Christian life. The moment you trusted Christ, you were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So there is one baptism, but there are many fillings. And so it's the Holy Spirit daily flowing through your life, controlling you, making Scripture that you've memorized come alive, and giving you the spiritual strength you need to be obedient to what God calls you to do. This is the secret to the successful Christian life. When Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, that I can do all things through Christ who... Me, it's the Holy Spirit that gave him the strength to do that. It wasn't Paul's spirit. It was the Holy Spirit to be able to do anything spiritually that brings honor and glory to Jesus Christ. It must be done through the power of the Holy Spirit because other than that, it's flesh. It's flesh. And so if you're you're growing, if a mark of maturity is that you're constantly filled with the Spirit, you're being controlled by the Spirit. Well, how did this happen? How did the Holy Spirit come to live in someone's heart? Well, look at verse number 14 of Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul quotes Isaiah 26, 19, and Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. He says, Therefore he, this is God, says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul said to those believers there in Ephesus, you who were dead in trespasses and sin. And that's the way all people are spiritually when they're born. They're born spiritually dead. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 3 verse 7, you must be, what? Born again. You've got to have a spiritual birth. And so Paul says it's an invitation from the Holy Spirit to wake you who spiritually sleep. Arise from the dead, spiritual death. He says, Christ will give you light. He'll give you truth. The Holy Spirit will come to live within your heart and turn the lights on. Verse 8, he says, for you were once darkness. He says, that you were spiritually. But when you turn from sin, repentance, when you concur, confess, and as the Holy Spirit comes to live within you, when you by faith trust Christ, there'll be change, you'll be a new creature, you'll be like Jesus Christ. No longer will you be darkness, verse 8, but now you're light in the Lord. He says that's why you're to walk in light, because that's what you are. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 16 says, Do you not know that you're the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? The moment you trust Christ to be your Lord and your Savior, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are indwelt. Acts chapter 1 and verse 5, just prior to giving his mission to the church, one, one mission, same mission, different uh, book, uh, not Matthew 28, but in Acts 1-8. But just verses before that, Jesus said, For John truly baptized with water, and he says to these disciples who were there waiting before he ascended unto heaven, he says, But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He says the Holy Spirit's going to come in, dwell you. Through our studies in the Old Testament, we've seen the Holy Spirit rested on people. David prayed, take not the Holy Spirit from me. The Holy Spirit rested on people. But at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in, in 
dwelt people. He was at home. He came to live within people's hearts and within people's lives. So that's the one baptism. And again, I'm going to talk about it every time a text comes about because in this area, there are a lot of people, especially over Cleveland Way, that believe that there are two baptisms of the Holy Spirit. That there's one when you get saved, and then there's a second one when you move up into your second level of maturity. Friend, I want to remind you that the Holy Spirit is not an it, it's not a drink, it's not a mist, it is a person. And, you know, we're fixing to approach our daughter's birthday here, and, you know, we're, again, we were looking at those pictures. We saw, when we got her, we didn't get just her upper torso and she was cut off at the belly button. Though that would probably have been the best one to take for those few times. It's that lower half that gives you trouble when they're first born. Some of you will get that when you get home. What's he talking about? Anyway, we got all of her from head to toe because she's a person. You get all of her. We didn't get the second half when we, you know, they, they saw that we could manage as parents. You know, well, they've moved to the next level of parenthood. No, we got all of her head to toe. When you got saved, you got all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. Because he's a person. Don't you let anybody tell you there's a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing. He's a person. You got all of him. The the question in filling Ephesians 5.18 is, does he have all of you? From head to toe, all your life. That's, That's the filling. You received all of him. So one baptism, many feelings. This is the secret, friend, of the successful Christian life. Christ living his life through you. Let me see if I can give you an illustration that will help you understand this a little better. There's three types of people that are here this morning. Okay? Three types of people. And we're going we're gonna to demonstrate those three people by three different race cars. All right? I want you to imagine a NASCAR race with this, just three cars. Okay? And so all three cars are identical. Same paint, same color, same number, but different drivers. Right, they're exactly the same. They don't look any different from the outside. And so they get all the cars up to the line, and everybody, the drivers are standing by. They all get out. They do what good Americans do. They stand there with their hand over their heart, not kneeling during the national anthem. And so they're, they're there, and then somebody comes up and prays, and then they, they stand there. They get inside their car. They put their helmets on. And then someone from a big speaker way up somewhere says, Gentlemen, start your engines. And all of a sudden, the guy in car number one, boy, he fires her up. And there's no mufflers on it. I mean, it sounds good. Every man loves it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All of a sudden, it revs up. And then about that time, the drivers in car number two and car number three, they get out of their cars. And they go and they get behind the car, and they put their hands on the back bumper, and they lean into it. And then the pace car comes by, and car number one, he begins to follow the pace car. He revs her up, and he's just got a big smile on his face. He's driving along. And then car number two and three, the drivers, they start pushing their cars. They're pushing they're not driving their car. Their engines aren't on. They're just driving. Well, all of a sudden, the green light drops, and car number one, listen, he's, he's got the pedal to the floor, and he's letting it go, and he just keeps lapping 
these other cars. And these other guys, they're sweating, and they're pushing, and they're pushing as hard as they can, leaning, and they're about just neck and neck with each other. But the other guy, man, he's just driving all around, and he keeps driving, and about 250 laps later, the, the, the checkered flag falls, and he goes to well-done circle, and he gets out of his car, and everybody's celebrating, and then the other two cars, they're still pushing. Well, it's inspection time. They've got to check and make sure what's going on with these cars. What happened? Well, car number one, he's inspected. His engine's fine. Everything's in line. His hand gets held up. He finished well. They open car number two, and they look at his engine. It's just like car number one's engine. But he's pushed his car all the way around. Car number three, they open up the hood on it, and there's no engine inside it. And he's pushed his car all the way around and fell short of the finish line. They begin to question car number two and say, why, why did you not start your engine? And you just in days, I don't know. I don't know. And you just, why did you push? I don't know. And that's, that's the church member. That's the disciple who's been saved. They've got an engine in their car. The Holy Spirit lives within their life. But everything they do in life, they do by the power of their own self. They don't know the joy of experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. They, they don't know the joy of car number one, of just sitting back and riding in the car. They know nothing about just letting the Holy Spirit empower their life and just letting God work in them and through them to accomplish things. Because, I don't know, they just don't yield themselves. And they never make it to Well Done Boulevard. Oh, they get to the finish line, but they never experience the well done of Almighty God. And friend, if that's some of you today, would you not just stop? If you've got an engine in your car because you've been saved, would you not just start daily? Start with repentance and ask God to forgive you by trying to live your life through the power of you. And start letting the Holy Spirit control your life from head to toe. Start studying God's Word, be a doer of God's Word, discover God's will, and just get in on God's will. And stop trying to control everything and just enjoy the ride in Jesus Christ. There's nothing like it. Can I get a witness this morning? Is there anything like it? There's nothing like it. Now I want to talk about the third person that's here. It's the third person that's attached themselves to the church. They look like everybody else. Same kind of car. Listen to me. You can't tell the difference sitting on the pew, sitting in the connection class chair. Can't tell the difference. But I want to tell you something. The inspector can tell the difference. God can tell the difference. The Holy Spirit doesn't live within your heart. There's no engine in your car. You want to know why? Because you've never been saved. You've attached yourself to the church. You're pushing your car. You're pushing your testimony. You're trying to make everybody think that you're a real race car driver, but you're not, friend. You're lost in trespasses and sin. And you need to just stop, friend. Repent of your sin and let God give you an engine. Let the Holy Spirit come live in your heart as you repent of sin and trust Jesus to be Lord of your life. Because I'm telling you, friend, the day's going to come. The day's going to come. Look at verse number 5 of our text. For this you know 
that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who's an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. What are those empty words? Well, just be a good boy, Johnny, and believe Jesus died on the cross, and everything will be fine. Friend, you won't find anybody in the South that doesn't believe that Jesus died on the cross. Hell's going to be full of good people. Don't let anybody deceive you. It's not a matter of how good you are and how nice your paint job is on the outside. The question is, has there ever been a moment where you've repented and the Holy Spirit lives within your heart? That's the question. See, you say, well, all people sin. Well, listen again to 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. You might write these down. You know, if you're trying to argue in your mind over this this morning... 1 John chapter 1 says that anyone who says they don't sin is a liar, saved and lost. But listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 3 verse 4. Listen, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And do you not know that he, Jesus, was manifested to take our sins, and in him there is no sin. Now listen to verse 6. Whoever abides in him does not sin. John says whoever's been saved doesn't sin. Well, wait a minute. 1 John chapter 1 says that we've all... In Romans chapter 3 says we've all sinned. 1 John chapter 1 says if we don't sin, we're a liar. In 1 John chapter 3 verse 6, when the Bible says whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him, he's talking about it's the tense of the verb. Listen to me. Present continuous sin. It's the person who wakes up in a sin and goes to bed in a sin. Who wakes up in that sin the next day and goes to bed in that sin. They have chosen for that to be a marking pattern on their life. The Bible says anyone who has present, continuous, I will not repent of it sin. The Bible says they've never been saved. I didn't say that. Who says that? The Bible says that. The Bible says they don't have any engine in their car. Friend, I'm telling you, that's one of the saddest things Jesus says is going to be at the great white throne of judgment where many people are going to look up and they're going to say, but I was a member of Greenwood. I sang in the choir. I sat on the pew every week. I was one of those Scotty who kept saying, make me smile because I had no joy in my heart because the Holy Spirit wasn't there. It, it, was, it was just a place to go. But I was a member of the church. Jesus will look and say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I Never knew you. If you don't have an engine in your car, you better get one today, friend. You better pit and you better repent and let the Holy Spirit come flood your soul. And friend, I'm telling you, then you can enjoy the ride with joy all the way to heaven. Somebody say amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Are those marks of maturity a reality in your life? If they're not, where are you failing today? If you've been saved, the Holy Spirit's already shined, shown light into your heart today. You know. Do business with Him now. Won't you in the quietness of your heart just pray like this. Oh God, thank You for the day when I trusted You. Thank You for the day the Holy Spirit overwhelmed my heart of my lostness and my need for You. And I turned and trusted You. But God, I'm not growing. I'm not maturing the way I need to. I see it in your word today. Forgive me. I choose today, God, to, to redeem the time, to follow the leader.
to fulfill your will for my life, to be filled with your precious spirit beginning even now. Forgive me for failure. Oh God, lead me forward in faithfulness. That's my prayer.